Yes, hello everyone. This week's going to be an interesting one because we have, an, well, not only an essential apple, let's try that again, shall we? Oh, great. Second, third week in a row, I can't nail an intro. Uh. Yes, hello everyone. This is the third take of the intro. Oh, it's going to be one of those weeks because joining us this week, not only do we have a fellow essential apple slap. Oh. <laughs> Uh, there's another edit point. We're at three edit points already. <laughs> we haven't even started yet. You're listening to another great podcast in the MyMac Podcasting Network. Yes, hello everyone. Not only is it another episode of the Essential Apple Podcast, but joining me this week is not only fellow Essential Apple slacker Dougie slash Andy J, but also a fellow Bristolian as well. Now, Andy is a digital forensic expert joining us to talk about security, privacy, protecting yourself online and all that sort of shenanigans. Also, of course, we take a look at the Apple tech stories from around the globe. Why is it around the globe? I'm not doing the intro again, including this whole thing about Apple's China. Uh, China? Oh, bloody hell. I give up. Hi, Andy. How are you doing today? <laughs> I'm good, thank you, Mark. And yourself? I did tell <laughs> you. About, yeah, there is no amount of uh, overcast, smart silencing that's going to make this episode sound any better. How is your Sunday going so far? Thank you ever so much for joining us on the show. So far, so good. We got a big dumping of snow over the weekend, so uh, we can go out and play. Yeah, so it was all good. Uh, I'm sat here. I just went out to the mighty Tesco, uh, and it's seven and a half degrees. So it's going to pass us. Yes, well, and we're supposed to be suffering the beast from the east, bringing, you know, a terrible amount of five centimetres of snow. Actually, the sun is shining and it's quite pleasant. So the beast from the, the, beast from the east is more of a kitten at the moment. Uh, well, the, 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 you got you've got to bless the UK, haven't you? Because they're so keen to have a snow apocalypse or a bad weather apocalypse thing just once, just once, so they can get it right. Uh, but it never <laughs> happens over here, which is a shame. Because I'm really hoping that it's going to be icy tonight because it, the um, the the gritters don't come down my road. <laughs> so there's no way I would be able to get to work for a few hours. Be like, oh no, sorry, can't get in. Mwah. <laughs> so Andy you work in digital forensics now I'm guess it's not going to be just about re- recovering data from a hard drive for people who've lost their backups what is it you actually do uh so we basically work for uh my past was a uh, law enforcement in the UK and here I work for the uh the government we do uh anything to do with uh evidence retrieval for um, investigations, really. So it can be computers, cell phones. We get online data, uh, social media data. We also do a lot of uh, open source research, um, OSINT, as they call it. So we do a variety of that. Uh, So it's mostly going to be used in court is generally why we grab the data. So we're we're just uh, we're going to go a little bit all over the place today because it's one of those days. So where do you stand then in... In the world of like Apple protecting their devices, so people like you can't get at the data because it's a double-edged sword, isn't it? Because yes, there's this obvious threat about terrorists and you know the the ne'er-do-wellers using such a secure platform. What's your uh, opinion on it? And yes, we will put in a 
term and condition to say that your views do not necessarily reflect that of yours, your company, or any other associates. I think I'm quite unusual in my field in some ways, although I have spoken to other people who sort of agree with me. I'm for the privacy myself, personally. If Apple can't get to the data, then uh, I think the repercussions of them being able to get to the data just because some agencies want it is is a lot more uh, important than actually us getting data. I, I think that as long as we've got the court's permission or judiciary overview, then we should be able to get the data. But I don't think they should create back doors. Um, there's a lot more to it than, you know, some federal agency just saying, oh, I just want to be able to get into the, this one phone. Uh, you've got to think of people like dissidents. You've got to think of people like journalists and how this is going to affect in the rest of the world. So I'm, on, I'm all for privacy myself. I might be unusual but in my field, but I definitely am for the privacy. I can imagine that's quite a divisive topic about, especially yeah. in, in your in, in your line of work. I don't, I really don't know where I stand on it. it. I think it's the whole thing of trust. If we trusted the people that actually wanted access to our data, then that becomes a whole different ball game. So, are you going to be affected then by this whole GDPR? Because you, what is it now? We've got to have data stored in European servers, haven't we, or anything? personifiably identical are you impacted by that at all in your line of work potentially yeah we had the same thing in canada where uh, the government can't store data outside of canada um except on some uh for some circumstances but they were not allowed to store anything like in the us because of their laws and stuff so it's going to be similar i think um the european union is the world leader really in data privacy that's for sure and you know what? It's just suddenly dawned on me why I know your name. It just really has. On a complete side note, you follow me on Strava, don't you? Yes, I do, yeah. Oh, dang it. That's been bugging me for ages working out who that is. <laughs> uh, my... We were, at one point, you and uh, you and Andy were going to get together and do a, a podcast, you know, a one-off special about your running tech. Yes, we will do. That fell by the way because I'm injured still and my blood pressure is still dangerous and I'm basically just a wreck. <laughs> it, it's gotten that bad that when I'm on Swift, I have to fly, I have to seek out the flat routes and just go it like the lovely was it base two training where you don't you keep your heart rate less than 140 BPMs, which basically means on any sprint segment you just come last. Oh yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's how you do, that's how you derail the show. So you, where are you now? Are you over in Canada now? Are you Canada, back in yeah, in Vancouver, yeah. So what made? So what was it? Was it just work that took you over there? And how how do you find the world of IT in Canada compared to uh, Bristol? Uh well, I was a cop in Bristol, so uh, I worked in a tech crime unit there, Brave and Somerset. So uh, different world. Uh, I love Canada. We came here because it's just a fantastic place. I uh, still love the UK. Don't get me wrong. I'm not a hater. Please don't put me down as a hater. Um, but uh, just I just like the lifestyle and the uh, everything we have here. You know, one in the morning you can be uh, skiing, and then the afternoon you could be led on the beach or by a lake or something. It's just it's just a great plate part of the world. I don't think we've ever had a guest that it's just become so easy to hate in just a few sentences. <laughs> Nobody likes to show off, but I can see your point over there. I'm just looking outside now, and it's just sort of, uh, yeah, it's just going to get cold. It does, it does come at a cost, though. We are extremely expensive here to live, so there is a cost involved. But, but do you have? Do, 
Is it are all the cliches true about people saying a boot and the coffee? Not really, no. Not this side. Maybe Eastern Canada more, but not West Coast. West Coast are sort of more laid back, and you know, they just Hip- chill out. Really, hipsters. A different world. Oh, all I'm hearing there is hipsters. <laughs> not really. I guess a little bit. We're not as bad as San Francisco. I was in <laughs> San Francisco a couple of weeks ago when it was uh, it was very hipstery. And I'm also given to understand that uh, the poutine, or poutine, as I'm told it should be pronounced, doesn't actually go out to the West Coast. Not really, no. We're more sushi here, more yeah. than anything. <laughs> Why not? I-, I love the fact that we've been going for, what is it now, just 18 minutes, we haven't covered one single thing about Apple. Um, we should really try and so- Tell us a little bit about, well, as I like to ask all of our guests that we have on the show, what is the oldest a bit of Mac tech you've got and the newest bit of Mac tech you've got that's in use today? Uh, what's my oldest bit of kit, I think, is what I personally have here is I have my iPhone, my original iPhone, uh, iPhone 1, I guess it was, uh, which I had to go across the States to buy, actually, because they, they weren't sold here initially. Uh, and my newest bit of kit, I would imagine, is my iPad Pro 12-inch. That's my newest kit. I have been so tempted to go to the world of the iPad. I, I've, I have been trying for, I suppose it's almost coming up to a year now, the Microsoft Surface Pro. And I just can't shake the fact it's a Windows machine. And I know that sounds really stupid, but the whole paradigm of trying to use the pen, it's so it's like I suppose you've got this on an iPad. Let's just say right here, right now, you want to draw a very quick sketch of, let's say, oh, I don't know, a floor plan. You just want to have a blank canvas and draw on it. How would you do that on the iPad? Uh, I there's a, a couple of note taking apps. I use one of those, uh, which I just draw freehand with the um, on the iPad, or you can use the uh, even an Apple Notes. Um, app you can do that and it, you can have the ruler on there and you can just draw along the ruler the on-screen ruler you can draw it pretty easy try doing that on the surface it's just a cacophony of okay can i join this app can i not join this app it's just so far I, i've used it as more as a laptop because you have pretty much i've just given up trying to use it if i'm honest it just it just hasn't worked it's been an interesting year-long experiment but the apps in the app store and all that sort of stuff around it just haven't worked why are we talking about microsoft on an apple show should we try some apple based stories oh um i suppose it would be rude to ask do you you what about vpns do you have a particular vpn of choice at all or are you just sort of free and easy on that there internet uh i use two vpns i use uh pia uh, private internet access is my predominantly my one for um, doing anything on really, and then I use Tunnel Bear uh, on my iPad and my iPhone just because it has that on-demand um, ability to like whitelist. So I use that on the, on my iDevices, but my the one that I permanently use all the time is uh, PIA. I find that to be the best, and that's PrivateInternetAccess.com. Yeah. Is it? Uh, I think so. Yeah. I've been a subscriber for about four years now, three, four years, I think. Well, that doesn't seem too bad as well. That's six ninety five, uh, six dollars ninety five a month. Oh, that might there's be. There's a there's a deal on it at the moment. I think through um, Hacker News, I saw it where you can buy a year for like 
I think it was like $39 or you could get five years for a hundred and something dollars. It was, it was really good. I'll see if I can dig it out. Uh, it has been funny because last week I was asking, uh, we had the Mac observers, Jeff, Jeff, what's his last name, Simon? Jeff Gamma. That's yeah. the one uh, about VPNs. And because I always thought that even though the, the traffic is secure going from end to end, if you're using, let's say, a works Wi-Fi connection, they would still see the request. So let's say I wanted to go to Neowin. They would see that I've typed in that URL and press return, but they wouldn't actually be able to see the page that I was browsing. But now I've said that, I realise that's completely uh, complete nonsense. So I like using it at work now, and it drives work mad because they can't turn off VPNs and they like to know what I'm doing. Yeah, they, but they can still see your they still see your internet history on your local machine if they were to look. And the one thing you have to be careful of is a DNS leak because although your traffic might be encrypted, if you're still using the company DNS servers, they're going to still see everyone that you're going to. Ah, so that's the one to be careful of. Uh, PIA has their own DNS servers, and you can set that up in the uh, and use their servers on their VPN, and then you don't get no DNS leaks. So that's one thing to be wary of. Ah, now that is a very, very good point. That's something I hadn't considered. So I was sort of semi right that they can see if they go through the DNS logs, but I'm going to sort of guess that going through DNS logs, someone's got to want to go and find out what you're up to. You have to be a target. I mean, you're, you're, you're hiding in plain sight, really. We all are. I mean, we, everything we do, our company can partic- any company can, can see and, and monitor what we're doing, but we hide in plain sight because we've got so many users. Unless you're a targeted user, they're targeting you for a reason. Pretty, the chances of you getting found or doing something wrong is probably, uh, probably very limited, I would think. All right, we'll, we'll, we will put up a link to privateinternetaccess.com. As, so, and that, and, um, and that, so how do you find it compared to Tunnel Bear then? Is the speed still the same? Do you find any uh, I latency? I find it to be uh, just as fast on my home, my home network. I get on my Wi-Fi, I can get sort of, I don't know, 70, 70 down. And if I'm connected to uh, PIA, I can get about 50 down, something like that. So it for for speed for what i'm doing it's not my i have a i have my home network segmented and i have one segment of my network permanently connected to pia and i i, I can do anything on there they don't restrict you for torrents or stuff like that whereas tunnel bear does ah all sounds really interesting i will chat to you more about this after the show uh, right. Well, let, I'll tell you, that sort of leads us nicely into... Oh, sorry, Simon. How are you? Uh, I forgot. I, you know what? Last week, I realised we just started talking to Jeff and I sort of didn't even bother to say hello to you. How are you doing this week, Simon? I'm all right, mate. I'm all right. Um, my knee is continuing to get better all by itself, which is rather pleasing. Um, and other than that, the sun is shining and uh, all is well with the world, mate. Excellent. Good to hear it. Right. Well, let's crack on with some Apple stories a second I can find the right tab. Well, it's been a bit of a, a quite... Oh, actually, before we go into the Apple stories... Now, Simon, you don't have the YouTube apps. I think you're excluded from this. But Andy, you've got the i uh, the Apple TV version 4, did you say you had earlier on? Yes, I do, yeah. Are you a YouTube watcher? Uh, I do, and I don't, uh, I, but I don't on the Apple TV so much, if I'm totally honest. Uh, you're good because uh, what about uh, the Amazon Prime are you a primer yes and the app sucks exactly what is going on 
in the world of Apple TV because I don't know about you, but I was sort of getting really used to it. So the remote is still a little bit hokey, isn't it? You sort of swipe a little bit too much uh, and then you have to swipe back. But you sort of get used to it after a while. It's, it's not the end of the world. It's not brilliant. It sucks, but there's worse things. But with the Prime app and then now especially the YouTube app, it just feels so, so wrong. So for those of you who don't know, when you swipe on the Apple remote, it's got uh, inertia. So the faster you swipe, the further you go, et cetera, et cetera. But yeah, on the YouTube app, you really do feel like you're having to do a very purposeful swipe on the remote just to get it to move. And it's the same with the Amazon app. Are you finding that undue? Or is it just my Apple TV tried to tell me it's time to upgrade? Yeah, the Amazon app, I think, is just, uh, I think they just didn't rather build one themselves for the Apple TV and go along the, the design scheme. I think they just decided they would do the, the minimum they could do to put it onto the Apple TV and make it look like their apps from their from the Fire Stick. But I hate that remote control. It's, I I cannot stand that. I, whoever thought that was a good idea, I think, are crazy. It, it wouldn't, you're right. And there's, there is no defending it. But it's when you go from being able to have a fluid movement and lots of bouncing and, you know, the tiles. Even So on the Apple TV, when you hover over a tile, you can gently play with the remote and the tile will tilt and all that sort of stuff. And, and the Netflix app is a very good example of that. Yet YouTube and Amazon don't have that. It's just such a horrible, clunky, staticky cludgy mess it it just makes you wonder how apple have actually allowed it onto their system yeah i i think they were so desperate for it that they uh they just allowed uh it on there i guess in as in a state it was i think that's very much it the i mean i i'm glad that we've got the prime app i am not that bothered about the fact that it's not perfect but it's just nice to have Prime accessible from the Apple TV without having to stream it across AirPlay or whatever. So it doesn't bother me that much. Um, I mean, you say I don't have the YouTube app. I do have the YouTube app, and my boy uses the YouTube app all the time. Um, I don't, so I've no idea what it's like. All I ever find is whenever I turn the Apple TV on, I have to back up about four layers out of the uh, YouTube app <laughs> to get to where I want to go. But uh, I, I'm with Andy on that one. I think they were just so desperate to get the Amazon Prime on the Apple TV that they just said, look, I don't care. We're not going to kick up a stink about it. It it reminds me of one of the things that we're doing at work where you've got a coder trying to design a a user interface that's who is a database programmer. So his job is not in graphics, you know, he's, he's good with databases, but the UIs that he's designed, you just look and go, oh, good grief, what's going on here? And I think that's exactly what's happened here is like someone's done a mock-up of the UI, someone's coded the UI, but then it doesn't feel like anyone's actually sat down and gone, oh, you know what, we'll test this. And maybe they have tested it, but they've never used an Apple TV app uh, or Netflix uh, before I think it was Gruber who said that he said this has obviously been designed by someone who's never used uh, an Apple TV before. Well, I'll tell you what, then, chaps. Shall we head down the road of doing some Apple type, uh, some more Apple stuff? We've got some news here that Simon's taken uh, some time out to create this week. Thank you very much, Simon, for doing the show notes. Uh, so, Simon, your first story here is Apple to store iCloud 
keys i count keys i cloud keys in china and somehow this is being linked to human rights uh well it's one of those apple uh have by law the Chinese have mandated that uh, data for Chinese data, you know, users' data must be held in China by Chinese companies. So Apple have to hand over the Chinese iCloud users' data to a Chinese-owned data storage company. Um, and of course, there's been people saying, you know, you're going to sell out the Chinese users to their repressive regime and infringe their human rights and all, all the usual stuff. And whilst I'm sure, you know, Apple are not happy about it, they have to abide by the rules in China or they don't get to play in China. And I don't think Apple can afford not to play in China. John Gruber put it fairly succinctly in exactly the same way as me. You know, I don't see what Apple can do here. Either they comply or they pull out of China. Now, a lot of people started shouting, oh, well, Google pulled out of China when they were told they had to do this, that and the other. So, you know, who cares more about privacy now? But, of course, the thing is, Google don't have a lot of skin in the game, do they, in China? Really? China is not necessarily a massive market for them. So... Well, I suppose they are, it is in a way, because it's basically Android, and the more Android sets that go there, the more they have to go yeah, through... That's not. that's not... It's not in the same, is it? Because Google don't make anything from Android. Google don't get anything out of Android. They don't get a licensing fee or anything. No, but that's like... And but, in but... China, you know, in China, the Google Play Store is not where the Chinese people go and get their stuff. They buy their, they get their apps from various Chinese marketplaces. But don't they so, get something in terms of the data that they're able to mine by having the default browser well, yeah, as Chrome? You know, of course, Google are giving up something by saying we're not going to play in China. But I think if you if you were, uh, you know, privy to uh, Google's internal data about how much of a market segment China is for them, uh, compared to how big a revenue stream it's likely to be for Apple, I, I think Google are in a position where they can. So I'll sod you then. We, you know, we're going to take our ball and go home. Apple are not in the same position. I don't think Apple can afford to give up the Chinese marketplace. And if they want to play, they have to play, play by the Chinese government's rules, whether they like it or not. That's just the way it is. But anyway, this um, story uh, in, the app, in, the, in the show notes, there's a whole load of links because it kind of led down a bit of a, a rabbit hole. Uh, Apple moves to store the iCloud keys in China, which raises uh, human rights fears. That, that's uh, a link from Reuters, which explains uh, what's going on. Uh, then there's uh, obviously I've put in a link to John Gruber's daring fireball, and his comment is basically the same as mine. That leads us to the uh, Hong Kong FP, uh, which is, um, you know, their take saying Apple is paving the way for iCloud dictatorship by China. Uh, it's an interesting read. Go there and read it. Uh, I, you know, I don't want to go into all the ins and outs of it. An iCloud security overview uh, from Apple support, which explains about iCloud encryption. And then I've linked a piece by Ars Technica, which 
deciphers or talks, you know, goes into some depth about figuring out what Apple's end-to-end encryption actually means. And uh, it says here, black box testing uncovers several ways the NSA could possibly tap this popular service. Uh, and if you're interested in that sort of thing, I mean, I think probably uh, Andy should jump in here because he's probably far more knowledgeable about this sort of thing than I am. And what, what's your take on most of that, Andy? I mean, I think Apple have done that. If you look at what they're trying to do here with this uh, handing over their cloud storage to a Chinese-owned company and they have the keys, this is, uh, this is quite smart by Apple because now when other, other countries say, well, we want the keys to the, to the, the iCloud data, they're going to say, well, we don't have it. We don't give it to government. This is a separate company. It's nothing to do with us. They handle it all within China. And anyone who works in China or does business in China knows the rules of China. So uh, as you say, there's, there's not much for them to, uh, there's not much they can do really if they want to stay in the market. Um, in respect to the, the iCloud uh, security, the messages, as we know, are encrypted end to end. So while in transit, they can't be deciphered and Apple doesn't have access to those keys because they're on a device on a, on a device by device basis and the iCloud data as well I read the um, a couple of articles that was posted in the slack room and you have to treat um, I, any data that's in iCloud as um, backed up data on someone else's computer so they have access to it I think if you read them the the Apple article it, it says that they have the keys to the encrypted data on, on iCloud so you should treat it like you're storing your information on someone else's computer so, so just to recap then, the the actual data and the keys are being held separately or together? It doesn't say. It just says they're held by Apple for iCloud. So it could just be the fact then that the data is held in one place and the iCloud keys are held in another place. Isn't that quite a good security privacy thing to do, to have those data in separate servers in separate places in the world? Yeah, and Apple hold the keys. So... Because you can imagine if, if they didn't have the keys and they didn't have access to it, the first person that says, well, I can't get into my iCloud data, I need this back. And they say, well, we can't because we haven't got the keys. I, I, I don't know. I mean, it's like people say Dropbox doesn't have the keys and others like that, but I'm sure they all have the keys. And they're going to store them correctly, don't get me wrong. I, I trust Apple far more with my data than any other company, uh, personally. Basically, then, it's a case of encrypt your backups and you shouldn't have too much to worry about because even if they were to get hold of, let's say, a file that contains your data, they're not going to have the keys to be able to do anything with it unless they've actually breached your local device and been able to get access to it. For iMessage, yeah. For Apple, if they were to get the keys from Apple, if they were to lose the keys, then potentially they could decrypt uh, the iCloud data. But I think the chances of that are... Are very are remote. It would have to be a hack. They would have to hack the. Uh, would have to hack Apple. It sounds a hell of a jump. A hell of a jump to say. Well, providing that you can get the data from this company in China, and then hopefully get a hack from Apple, and then hopefully somehow tie up the two elements together, then you've got to be worried. Yeah, I mean the the difference is this company and that the Chinese company that Apple are going to be uh, given the iCloud storage to will have the keys to decrypt everything. And so will the Chinese government, but that's life in China. That's the way it works. I was, I was there in uh, 07 at a conference and I was speaking to uh, 
our local delegate who was looking after us, who in one world was, uh, he, he had so many business cards, I didn't know really know where he worked or what he was. But one of the guys was saying they, they employ 140,000 people to monitor the Great Wall, the firewall. 140,000 people. I was in Shaomen, I think, in 2005, 2007. And I thought, oh, you know, this firewall can't be that bad. Oh, my word. Oh, my word. I accidentally typed in a wrong website, and I think I actually cacked my pants for a few seconds. It's a different world. It is. Well, unfortunately or fortunately, we're not here to discuss human rights and all that. That's way... Um just on the on the subject of the iMessages, um, Ars Technica basically point out that if if you are backing up your iMessages in iCloud, then there is possible to recover them from there. Somebody yeah. could recover them from there. As it says here, you know, we're not singling Apple out, judging from the difficulty some federal agents have, have had in monitoring suspects' iMessages. This instant messaging service is probably one of the hardest ones to tap. But hard to decrypt and impossible to decrypt are two entirely different things. So, yeah, I still think iMessage, uh, as far as I can tell, rates as one of the harder and best encrypted services available. Probably not the most um, secure service, but for average users, very much so. And like a lot of these things, I mean, we, we come to the same conclusion time after time. If you're If you're likely to be a targeted individual, for whatever reason, if you are a dissident or, um, you know, a political activist in a in a totalitarian state, then you should not be using average tools. You should be uh, using very specialist kind of uh, ways of going about things. And uh, to that end, that does bring me to a piece in the notes. There's a piece here uh, which I've linked. Now, the link goes to LinkedIn, which is a sort of professional facebook type of thing it's not something i necessarily recommend a bit of a pain to be honest but it was an interesting piece and what i will do is i'll put a link in the show uh, notes to an rtf of the content of said article and it's called the unconventional communications framework and i don't know if you looked at that andy Hi. but it's very much there's a lot in there it's it, you know it's quite in depth it's about os int and situational awareness and yeah. all sorts of stuff i mean <laughs> I don't know what the guy who wrote it does. Some of it reads like he's an intelligence agent and he knows what he's talking about and he's been in places where <laughs> he's effectively a spy. It's an interesting piece in as much as it tells you a lot about how to avoid information leakage. And obviously a lot of what he's talking about is overkill for the average user, but it doesn't hurt to have a look at some of the things he talks about. Yeah, I I think I did uh, I did start to read it. I haven't read it all yet. I mean, I think that the thing to think about is I always think of when we're doing uh, OPSEC for our investigators is silos do everything in silos. The minute you don't use silos is when everything. I mean, LinkedIn, for example, is is in is the name of it. You know, LinkedIn it does <laughs> it does linking, and the minute you don't consider everything in silos, then you start getting leakage over, and then someone builds a bigger picture. Um, yeah, and that, that's very much what he's saying. You know, if you are going into uh, a situation, you know, and he's talking here about if you're a businessman going to China, say, and you have sensitive material, 
you know, he's saying don't use your existing account. Create new accounts, for example. Don't yeah. link anything back to your uh, your Western accounts. Put as little data as possible into separate containers. You know, don't put pictures of yourself. Don't put your addresses. Don't blah blah blah. It's quite a long read. It's quite in depth. But it's worth it's worth a look if you're interested in that sort of info security. So I thought I'd I'd link that and I thought I'd bring that up because and I thought I'd get your take on it as you know that's kind yeah, of your and, field. And the uh, the thing to think of with Apple is with their security and their requests for your data, their policy is unless they've got a confidentiality order from a US court, is they will let you know first as a customer that someone's requested your data. Mm-hmm. So. Precisely. That's uh, and at the end of the day, they have a transparency report which they publish. Not many other companies do that. Uh, the Apple transparency report shows who's asked for what and when. It's quite an interesting read as well. Yes, yes, it is. I've, I've, I can't say I've studied it in depth, but I have. I have once or twice taken a followed a link that takes you there to. Uh, it, it tells you, doesn't it? You know how many law enforcement requests they've had, or how many FBI or. Um, and it's actually a surprisingly large number, yeah. many of which they uh, refuse. And, and I have to say, Apple, from a, an investigations point of view, they are very helpful. They are one of the most helpful companies to help with uh, a law enforcement request. As long as you've got the correct, uh, like you've got a, a search warrant and the right power from the court, they don't they don't stand in your way. They they help as much as they can. That's, how, that's yeah. certainly been my opinion of them. In, in the I stuff mean, I've um, done with there them. was a. There was an article, uh, I don't know, a couple of weeks ago, wasn't there, um, saying that the, the I don't know what is the director of the FBI in um, San Francisco or, you know, very chummy with Apple. And the fact that, you know, the FBI and Apple had a spat over the San Bernardino, as he said, that's that's not relevant, really. That's That's just, <laughs> that's part of the job. And uh, on the other hand, you know, Apple and, and the FBI collaborate a lot yeah and apple helped train our our investigators and so on and so forth so no i don't you know apple seem to go about their their business in is a sort of i would say as moral a way as you could uh expect and that that is that you know they respect the rule of law they may not always agree with it they sometimes you know kick back within reason you know they feel that it's their users right to have privacy a reasonable expectation of privacy, but you know, if if you have a search warrant and a reasonable cause, and uh, you know the backing of the court, then of course they're going to bend over backwards to help you. That's be foolish of them not to, wouldn't it? You yeah, know, I've, I've always found them to be more than helpful when I've when I've had a request to them, um, mm. and and they've they've helped us on many occasions and different times. Have you had any dealings with trying to do the same with uh, Google or any other companies similar to Apple? Not so much because of we, uh, uh, with, when I'm talking about my interaction with Apple, it's been with the phones, forensically examining the phones with uh, with the other phones, with Android phones, because it's so fragmented. Um, I personally not had any involvement with uh, any of the handset manufacturers, um, but just from a, 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 a requesting information from Apple or seeing if they have information, they've always been more than helpful. I, you know, I, I. I can't say a bad word against them, really. In the San Bernardino uh, case, you know, they had access to the phone, but they mishandled it and then lost access to the phone, and then they go and blame Apple. So I don't know. 
I think that was what the narrative sort of ended up twisting into eventually, wasn't it? It was all about Apple won't do this, won't do that. And Apple basically said, well, we can't. Yeah. The company that eventually ended up so-called cracking, the the San Bernardino iPhone, is that a company that you recognised at all? Or are they still around in your circles at all? I don't think it was ever identified who... Did the did the work, but it's believed to be celebrate. I think. Um, yeah, I mean, that's um, it's been widely uh, said to be celebrate. I mean, nobody's actually ever going to stick their head above and say, I, "I did it." Are they? It's not. Yeah, and, that's not how that industry works. But it, it's some, been widely put about that it was celebrate, and, and they're an Israeli company, aren't they? Yeah, they they formed from Israel. Yeah, we use their we use their software daily. I've been on. I was recently on their training course. Uh, they're a great company. Um, very forward thinking their r&d budget must be huge um and again they're very very good for law enforcement uh i think that i think someone did actually look at some um rfp or some billion some invoices that the fbi so say had spent a million dollars with celebrate and that's where they were making the tie back to the san mm. Bernardino phone but i think somebody said that, well that's probably what the fbi spend on their equipment on a yearly basis so it I don't know, but I believe it was celebrated. What the, the the news articles have said, but I don't know personally if they if they were the ones who cracked it or not. No. On a side note, there, Andy, do what sort of um because oh, this is going to be a little bit security based. Do you use any other chat mechanism other than well, iMessage? Do you use any special email clients or browsers, uh, or are you not that much of a tinfoil hat type person? No, we uh, as a group ourselves we. We all use Signal. Is our generally is our uh, is our messaging app. Um, we did use Telegram for a while, but there was so many instances of people saying that they were linked with the uh, the Russian government that we moved to Signal. And then uh, email. I generally use. Uh, I've got a Gmail account for legacy purposes, and i I've moved I've moved most of my stuff to Proton Mail. Um, and then. If I'm using my Gmail, I normally just use PGP or something like that. If we're doing it, if I'm talking to certain people. Oh, PGP. I remember that. Blimey. That was back in the DOS days of trying to generate keys and stuff like that. Yeah. Blimey. That's going back a bit. Yeah. So I use that. But generally, I've, I've tried to move everything to ProtonMail. I like ProtonMail. Just the interface. It, it After being so used to the way that Google does its interface, I'm sort of struggling to sort of go back to ye oldie style of Proton Mail, but I should really try that. What was that thing, Simon, where you can use Proton Mail in any app? It's oh, uh, bridge, yeah. is it? The Proton um, Mail bridge. Yeah, Proton Mail bridge, which allows you to uh, take your Proton Mail into um, a mail client rather than because the. Um, Proton Mail doesn't, have, you know, previously didn't work with uh, an email with an email client. So you had to access it via the web or on your iDevice through the through its own app, which makes it slightly siloed, which is a little bit of a pain. Uh, yeah, the bridge, uh, I'm told, works well. You have to have a paid account, obviously, to run the bridge. But if you use Proton Mail, um, you know, a great amount, then that's probably well worth. I want to give a special shout out to Proton Mail because I've used it and I had a couple of issues when I was signing up with Safari Technical Preview probably about six months ago. And man alive, their support was 
pretty much like with an hour or so of me posting oh, yeah. it. I've, I've, I've spoken to the Proton uh, support people, uh, both about the VPN and about the mail originally, and they, they are they're on the ball. Um, it was just a shame that, that I, somewhat ironically, the technical support mail ended up in my spam. <laughs> Yeah, well, there you go. You can also. Uh, we'll do one more story and then we'll take a quick break for Nemo. So, Uncle Tim has been in the news. Tim Cook, Apple doesn't follow any. Uh, sorry, Apple doesn't follow other companies. In an interview with Fast Company, Apple CEO insists that what other companies do is irrelevant to Cupertino. I'm not sure with this. Apple CEO was asked, how do you decide when it's okay to follow? He was given Face ID as an area where the company is led and HomePod as one where it had followed. Cook replies, I wouldn't say we follow. I wouldn't use that word because that implies we waited for somebody to see what they were doing. Yeah. Again, he goes on to say that people misunderstand how Apple has run, in which Cook says what's happening, if you look under the sheets, which we probably don't let people do, is that we start project years before they come out, he said. You could take every one of our products, iPod, iPhone, iPad, Apple Watch, they weren't the first, but they were the first modern one, right? Oh, he's been on a PR training course, hasn't he? (laughs) Andy, have you been tempted with the HomePod at all? Uh, I did have one on pre-order, actually, and I was going to go to the States and pick it up. But then I looked at it and thought, it's just an expensive speaker, which I don't need. So I cancelled my pre-order. I'm, I must admit, I do love my Sonos Play 1. I, it's definitely up there in the realms of, if I could, I probably would. But, well, actually, this this sort of leads us on nicely to the, all these sort of Google, you know, the Google Assistant, the Amazon Echo. Where do you stand on all this? Are you, would you, do you have any of these sort of like smart speakery things that are always listening? No. Would you? I wouldn't. No. What's I, your, what's I your, have, I may have an Apple one eventually, but I don't think I would go for Google or Amazon. And what's your reckoning behind that? Is it just because you did, of what you know in your industry or is it just, well, uh, sod that? Yeah, a little bit. Uh, well, first of all, you've got to look at what Google's uh, core business is, which is data collection and advertising. Um, so I just don't want them knowing everything about me. I appreciate they know some stuff about me, but I just don't want them knowing everything. And Amazon is much the same, really. Your information being recorded all the time, and I know they don't keep it forever. And but for me, it's just I just want to keep something as personal as I can, really. Yeah. It again, we've all heard this. We've all been there where you search for something on, let's say, Amazon, like car light bulbs, and then somehow you go into Facebook, and it's like, oh why are you offering me like curated news stories or, you know, sponsored advertisements for something that I've browsed for in allegedly a completely separate part of the internet? Yeah. I mean, a lot, a lot of those are myths and stuff. And I, I think what we, what we tend to forget when we're uh, talking about our privacy is we think that we log into Facebook, that's one account, Amazon's another, but the one thing that's in common with all of those logins is our IP address. So if our IP address is the same, it doesn't matter if Facebook is recording stuff, you know, that that's our link back. So I think a lot of this advertising can be linked just by our IP addresses, personally. And there's trackers everywhere. Yeah. Trackers are on everything. If you if you install um, something like Ghostery, which is uh, my, my favorite 
um you know some sites you'll go on and they'll say you know one or two trackers blocked but you go to some of the big sites and the you know the number of things it's trackers that it is blocking and 20 30 trackers you know uh, there are trackers yeah. everywhere and if you're not actively blocking them they're following you and that's the same with uh cookies we've seen it uh we've done some testing and uh we spend a lot of our time on tour for example but even just yeah. using a vpn you go to a website on tour and you view it or on a vpn you use it that's great they, they don't know who you are because your ip is trade uh, is not shown because it's tour or vpn it's a vpn company and then we've seen if we go back to the same website just with non-vpn because it's dropped a cookie on our machine it knows who we are so the, the basis of us being anonymous is just gone because yeah. they may know who we are so you have to be careful so, so on that, on, on that, then again, this leads us to another security type of question. What sort of browsers do you use, or ad blockers? You know, what is a little bit about your uh, setup that you can tell us? Uh, I use. Uh, I'm switched over. to I normally use Safari for, on my Mac just because of the convenience of it. But I found it to be coming a bit of a slow, bit of a dog at the moment. So uh, a few months ago, I moved over to the Brave browser, uh, which is based on Chromium. Uh, and that has all the uh, ad blocking and the uh, tracking um, technology built into it. So I've been using that mostly for the last uh, few months. I use the um, Safari Technology Preview for what it's worth. I don't know if you've tried that, Andy. I haven't. No. That's um. No, that's 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 rather good. It's faster than the ordinary. Oh uh, yeah. Safari. It... Safari just seems so old compared to the technical preview, but there are a lot of sites that can have a lot of issues with... um... No, actually, I shouldn't say that. You start to notice the discrepancy between sites that are sort of taking into account new technologies versus old technologies, especially some sort of sites where you have to do text entry and they're using some weird JavaScripty thing. Uh, to try and catch you out. Uh, sorry, to try and look after you. I'm just having a look at this Brave browser. Uh, so this is going to be in the show notes as well. It's brave.com if you want to go and check it out. Right, I'll tell you what we'll do then, chaps. We've been going for 40 minutes solid. Let's go and refresh ourselves with a nice cup of tea or whatever you're going to be doing over there in Canada. And we'll be back in about three minutes with a Nemo's hardware store. So, John, over to you. We're delighted to have a special guest this week on Nemo's Hardware Store. It's Cliff Gaines from Scottsdale, Arizona. Nice to see you, Cliff. Nice to see you too, John. Tell us a little bit about your professional work. I have a video production company. I do commercial photography and video, promoting people's products and services. And what is this unusual contraption that's sitting here in front of us? What I have in front of me is called a DJI Osmo Plus. Is DJI the name of the company? DJI is the name of the company. And the Osmo Plus is a handheld gimbal that allows you to do Steadicam type of shots with your phone or with with a camera. How do you spell Osmo? O-S-M-O. Is this the top of the line of this particular range? The Osmo Plus is one of the top of the lines. They do have other ones that have even higher end cameras that go up into the $5,000 to $6,000 range. This one in particular was about $700. So it's a screaming deal for what it does. It's absolutely amazing. It's a game changer. 
And does it work all by itself or do you need to do something to get it to work? To make it work, you use your phone. You can use any kind of phone. You use that as your monitor. It syncs up via Wi-Fi. You don't need a Wi-Fi connection. The Wi-Fi connection goes straight from your phone to the device. It allows you to just do walking shots, super steady roving shots, walkthroughs of real estate. And it's absolutely amazing. Plus, this particular one, you can add a external microphone. And it's got a three and a half time zoom, 4K video, and it's, it's phenomenal. I've had it for about two weeks. What does the price range begin at? In other words, if somebody just wants to get started using a steady cam for video with their iPhone, how little can they spend to get something good? You could buy an off brand for probably 100 or 150 bucks. DJI uh, had lowered the price of the DJI Osmo Mobile, which uses your phone as the camera and as your monitor. Mm -hmm. And uh, that one you can get for probably two or 300 bucks now. How does this compare to using a drone? You're on the ground. Okay. You're not flying unless you have uh, a jetpack on. <laughs> so basically you're walking. It does have some technique involved. You kind of want to have a Groucho Marx sort of walk that helps the Steadicam. It's absolutely amazing what you can do with it for both personal pleasure and also for business related functions. In a business setting, how would you use the Steadicam? Give two examples. I did a walkthrough of a home, which normally with my broadcast gear would probably have taken me four to six hours shooting with lights and everything else. I basically did this handheld in about a half hour shooting a 4,000 square foot home. It looked spectacular and it really gave a, a sense of the walkthrough as opposed to stitching a whole bunch of clips together that I would do in, when I'm shooting with my broadcast camera. And then you're editing it in Final Cut Pro later on? Correct. On yes. your Mac? On my Mac, yes. I'm a Mac guy. Very good. Tell us the name of your business and how people would get in touch with you if they wanted to learn more about your video services. Oh, great. The uh, name of my business is A1 Studios. That's A, the number one, Studios. And you can review my work at A1 Studios AZ. That's Arizona, A1StudiosAZ.com. And are there YouTube videos of yours that people can look at? Yeah, you can go to my YouTube channel under A1 Studios, or my name is Cliff Gaines, G-A-I-N-E-S. Probably got 300 videos, uh, drone videos, nature, wildlife, professional videos that you can take a look at. Now, how, how do people begin the process? Should they start with a drone or should they start with a steady cam? I would stay, start on the ground. You can buy just so you get used to the, the if you want to, if you're into flying, you can buy for 20 or $30 or a small copter that would do a lot of the functionality. You wouldn't have the GPS and you wouldn't have the live view, but you could certainly get used to the control. And uh, that's how I got started. I probably have 10 different uh, quadcopters. I don't like to call it drone because it implies military and Okay. So I call it my quad quadcopter. Quad copter. Yeah. We, so, will, we will revise our terminology yeah. accordingly. It takes you to new heights, basically. And you can flying wherever you want to go is out of this world. It really is spectacular. Well, we will check out your website. Tell us the website again and the YouTube channel. Uh, A1studiosaz.com or Cliff Gaines on my YouTube channel. Good. Well, stay safe with your flying. Thank you. And don't drop this expensive... Steady cam. I promise I won't. <laughs> I'll do my best. Great to have you here at Nemo's Hardware Store, Cliff Gaines. Thank you so much, John. Where were we up to in the old stories that we've got here? Andy and I were going to do a little bit about uh, password managers. Have you seen the Dashlane 
that seems to be getting a little bit of traction at the moment. And I'm led to believe that the uh, the attraction to Dashlane is that if you have an account, uh, let's say with Google, and your password has been compromised, it will tell you it's been compromised. Is that or is that? Did I just make that up? Um, I I, th- I think several do that now. I think one password does that. Um, I think the reason that several of these uh, password managers have suddenly sprung up, uh, and the man- many of them have been around for a long time, is that uh, the landscape was dominated by one password for a long time. Um, certainly for Apple users, one password seemed to be the device, you know, the password manager of choice, although I always found it uh, quite pricey. And some people have got the hump because they've changed to a subscription model. So the Dash Lane. Yeah, uh, the Dash Lane is also, I think it's it's free if you only use it on one device. But uh, relatively speaking, it's quite expensive at uh, $3.33 a month uh, billed annually if you want to use more than one device. Yeah, that, so it's kind of handy to recommend to a friend who, she, well, she's always forgetting her passwords on a regular basis and then going, what's my password? I'm going, uh, it's stored in notes of all places. Well... Yes, it, as I say, it's free forever uh, with unlimited uh, usage uh, as long as you only use it on one device. Uh, I tried it for a bit, but I just found having it on only one device not a great deal of use to me. So, I mean, I rely very much on the iCloud keychain, which I find to be, you know, perfectly good most of the time. Yeah, I, that's fine, apart from when I'm on the Windows PC, and then that's where I get completely scuppered then, because you end up doing the dance of opening up your iPhone, opening up one password, finding the website, and then no, normally, because I'm trying to be a good net citizen, trying to put, put in a use, unusually complex password. And then that even means at some points I'll do the worst thing that I can, uh, and that's email the password to myself. Thankfully, I don't put in the subject header Amazon password because that would just be ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, there are several. Uh, there's the Remember Beta, which is currently free. Apparently, that's not as fully featured as some other password managers, but it, currently it's free. And I've just uh, taken a look at LastPass, which is free. There's a premium, which is $2 a month billed annually, or a family plan for six licenses, which is $4 a month billed annually. But I suspect for me, I'm going to give it a go and see what I think. But to be honest, I suspect I'm going to end up going back to just using the iCloud keychain. What about you, Andy? Have you got a password manager of choice? I'm, yeah, I'm a one password user, but I haven't taken up the uh, subscription model. I just kept the, the old version, and I see that some of the new features are only coming to the, the uh, subscription uh, only version. I probably would stick with one password solely because I can't be bothered to have to get rid of all my stuff out and move it to another. Although, although my colleagues do use um, LastPass uh, and they use like a UB key with it, and because they're on Android phones, they can use the key on their phones, which we can't do because of the NFC. So I'm pretty uh, jealous about that. But one of the one of the reasons that I I went to LastPass, despite uh, as well as the fact that it's available for free, is that David Cohen recommended it on on TechFan. That came up because uh, his guest had changed to an Android phone and found that the one password for Android is terrible. Oh, okay. And um, then he said, "Well, why can't I have the features that I have on 
all my other devices with one password and they said you need to join up to the premium you know subscription model um and apparently were quite aggressive about it and he said well if that's your attitude screw you i'm going somewhere else so um they didn't like it when he told them that they were self-serving in when he asked them a question they just sent him an advert for their new subscription service yeah doesn't surprise me everything's gone subscription now which i understand companies have to make money but these things are i always put it down to the the value of it is the netflix model like i pay 10 bucks a month for netflix and i get so much out of it and they want me to pay like four bucks a month for a password manager this, yeah the value this, this, this is the value it, it this is the thing isn't it and and the thing that uh scott scott wilsey you know always brings up and i think it was something that uh couple of our other guests mentioned is you know when when one or two companies start doing subscriptions and they're things that you use all the time and possibly professionally that's one thing but when everybody starts doing subscriptions you know it all just tots up and before you know it you know your monthly subscription bill is hundreds of dollars for a lot of these things it's like really you want me to give you two dollars a month and by the way, all of nearly all of these, you know, they might say it's two dollars a month, but it's billed annually. So, you know, they're all they're not really two dollars a month. They're twenty four pounds, you know, twenty four dollars a year. Yeah, I mean, that's how they sort of get you in, isn't it? It's sort of uh, you could have this car now for only fifteen dollars a week, providing, but they then they bill you monthly, and it's like, ah. But it's all about perception, isn't it? It's like like what Andy said about Netflix. Yeah, I I just binge on that so so much, and that work that to me is worth every single well, I, penny. But then I, it's, I, it's economy of scale, then isn't it? Because Netflix are so big, they can in effect charge so little for the you know, the product that they're offering because they've got that mass market penetration. Whereas a smaller company will probably have to charge more. Well, I think the thing the thing with Netflix is they were quite clever. Apparently, originally they were going to sell a box you know, a Netflix box, uh, like the Roku or, you know, the Chrome Fire Stick, whatever, all these things. Um, but they realised that then they'd be in competition with all the other services and that their best route was to provide the service across all the other platforms. And that way, you know, they, they have only got to charge you for providing the service. In the same way as if you actually look at what you, certainly in this country, if you look at what you actually pay for your mobile phone service, it's not actually very much. You know, maybe 10 or £12 a month. Most of the rest of your bill is probably made up by paying for your handset, if you, like me, take it on a contract. Uh, but Netflix is well worth it. It's fabulous. I, You know, um, when I had to have a look at my budget, you know, I... I said to the kids look we're spending all this money on sky and i'm not going to get rid of sky but i'm going to shut down a lot of these services that we i'm sure we're not really using and i slashed my bill with sky by getting rid of a load of things that we probably didn't really need like hd why do we need hd we you know we've got i've got an hd telly but it's you don't it's not big enough to really make any difference. I slashed a large amount of money off my Sky bill and replaced it with, a, what, £9 a month for Netflix. Well, that's the thing with Netflix now is that they're releasing that much content now 
they are sort of like a BBC. They are sort of like uh, an ITV where you don't have to go, oh, well, it's just a back catalogue of old shows and episodes like it used to be. The amount of original content that's no, coming out now. huge amounts of original content. And to some extent, some of the best original content out there is coming from Amazon and, and Netflix. Have either of you two seen Altered Carbon? Uh, I watched the first one. Couldn't really make my mind up. I was going to watch the second one. I don't know about that. It, uh, it's worth it's persevering with. Cyber, it's sort of cyberpunk, but it looks like it's a lot more cyberpunk looking than actual cyberpunk content. But I might have, you know, I'll watch a second episode and see what I think. But it it didn't fire me up so much that I couldn't wait to watch the second episode. Let's put it that way. It's like what I find on, uh, it's like Better Call Saul. That's, that's always, always a slow burner. That's never going to sort of have a crescendo. But that's what you find now, because even though Netflix have tightened up a little bit on the, the amount of stuff they're going to renew, you just get this feeling that they can just spend the time telling the story. And I, and, Whereas I'm no film critic, I think that a lot of directors and writers haven't got used to that medium and they just do a lot of padding. Uh, Andy, what about your digital uh, lifestyle over there? What, how does TV in Canada compare to over in Blighty and the services that you use? Uh, well, our cell phone services are way expensive compared to what you pay. Uh, as our cell plans are not, uh, not very good at all. TV is just basically cable. Um, so we have uh, a number of providers, but for me, it seems like there's a bit of a cartel going on because it always seems to get more expensive. Uh, but the TV content is good. The football is good. I mean, I watch I watch more football here than I ever did in England uh, because it's cheaper to watch the Premiership. But uh, yeah, our cell phones are terrible. I pay eighty dollars a month for a ten gig plan. What? Yeah. Ooh, oh. Ouch. And, and, and does that include that? You know, I am assuming that doesn't include your handset. No, I'm on no contract. I pay outright for my phone. If I, for instance, so I was paying before I got my uh, iPhone 10, uh, I was paying, I think, like $70 a month. And that was including my, uh, my contract. But my contract had been paid off a year or so before, but there's no price adjustment. And then if I wanted to get, uh, it was an iPhone 7 Plus on a contract they wanted me to change my contract they wanted me to go up to to keep in those days i had six gig of data to keep my six gig of data they wanted me to go to 130 dollars a month 130 dollars a month yeah, for six to have a, a 500 dollar trading a uh, 500 dollar subsidy i was like so I, I worked it out by buying my phone outright i saved something like I, over the the course of the, the two years they wanted me to have it it was like twelve hundred dollars or something it's ridiculous and go on you've mentioned it which means we have to ask the question how much do you like the iphone 10 uh i love it yeah i do it's good it's uh i what i normally do is i keep my phone for six months or seven months maybe then i sell them and then i just get the next one i normally sell my phone in like july I normally get good good price for it, and then I go back for two months to my iPhone six, and then then get the new one. So yeah, it's good. I'm not sure if it's worth the money, but uh, you know what? It, it's that that's all we got to spend our money on, and it's fine. It's a great phone, I have to say. 
Because we've all has anyone seen the rumors of the iPhone 10 Plus? Yeah, I'm not sure if they'll yeah. do that. I'm not I sure think. about that, but maybe they will. Maybe that will be what they do. Who can tell? I do like the uh, I do like the the fact that you get the bigger screen and a smaller frame, a handset size. I, that, that's the best bit. I think I like. Well, that's its main selling point, really, isn't it? That it's, yeah. you know, you get a plus size phone in a not plus, <laughs> or a plus size screen in a not plus size phone, as it were. Face ID is really good as well. I have to say, I I really like that. I know people, some people have said they don't like it, but for me, it's great. I've no uh, no issues with it. And so, as a like a like a data sort of person, how are you getting on with Face ID? Are you finding it just as responsive as um, Touch ID? Yeah, yeah. The only downside to it is that if your phone is led led based, obviously on its back on the desk to unlock it, you've got to lift it. But apart from that, it's fine. I, I, I get I get just as much response out of it than I do as uh, as I did with Touch ID. I will admit we've got we've just uh, our little pokey town has just got a Curry's PC World and they have the ten in there, and I keep looking going ooh monthly payments monthly <laughs> payments but then I would never do that unless I was going with Apple I would never give them my money because at least I know if I'm good I'd rather give it directly to Apple because of the whole Dixon's thing from my previous career. So what shall we? what's the next story on the agenda, as my uh, screen well, next, has just literally uh, blanked Sort out. of talking about phones, uh, there's, a, there's a little one here, and this is uh, future Apple devices might have flexible sidewall displays, uh, and this is based on the fact that Apple have filed a patent for having, uh, in effect, the sort of touch strips that they could have touch strips on the sides of devices to be used as virtual buttons or maybe, you know, have a, a sort of a ticker tape news feed or whatever. Uh, I'm not convinced that that's actually going to go anywhere. I mean, Apple patent an awful lot of things. It, it seems to me that if they're going with the iPhone 10 style and that's likely to be what all the phones are likely to look like, I, I don't see that you're going to have a flat surface on the side to have a touch strip on well it would help them get rid of the buttons that those, but, those pesky sort of spoiling the flat design of an iphone buttons possible anyway that's just a, a patent which says you know they could have uh flexible by flexible they mean touch responsive not bendy so effective yeah touch strips like on the like on the new uh macbooks macbook pros uh, but down the side of your phone or possibly iPad. Although, as they make everything ever thinner, how thick is this touch strip going to be? You know, what, a mil? I suppose you could put virtual buttons on it, but... Yeah, so, like maybe. a slide up to unlock on the side? Maybe, you know. So, there we go. That was just a, a patent. Um, it's at Apple World today. It's probably other places on the net. So, I thought I'd put that in. I I don't know what to make of that. I it seems like the sort of thing that Apple have patented just because they can. You know, they patent lots of things like that, don't they, all the time. And the other one, this was uh, this is a few days old. This one did make me laugh. Uh, apparently, Apple's new spaceship campus has a floor, and it hurts. Distracted staff are walking into the glass panels designed to foster collaboration. Uh, this was on 9to5Mac, but again, I think it was posted several places. Apparently, Apple employees who are distracted by their phones or not, paying attention 
are uh, walking into the glass panels that are used to divide up the <laughs> to divide up the workspaces. Um, and apparently, some of them took to sticking sticky notes, you know, on on such panels to warn them. Um, but they got taken down on the grounds that they were spoiling the uh, aesthetic. I walk so, into the go. doors at Tesco, so I don't know what this is a big story about. I have automatic <laughs> doors refused to open for me all the time. <laughs> we have people walking into the road looking at their phone all the time on crosswalks and stuff, so I don't doubt it. All these cool Apple employees with their hipster iPhones in front of them walking into things. It's going to be no Bang! different. Yeah. <laughs> it's quite strange. I mean, I don't know how... You know, I've not been there, but you would think, wouldn't you, that if you were going to put glass panels, I mean, in this country, if you have glass doors or whatever, you have to have, you know, have to at least put a, like a frosted strip across it or, a, you know, something that so that it's not just a pure sheet of glass so that people can be aware that there's something there. I was there a couple, about a month ago, but only from the outside and there was a lot of glass. I can surely tell you yes. that. <laughs> I know, I, but uh, yeah, apparently, you know, it's all divided up inside with glass panels and uh, people are banging into them. There we go. I just find that a somewhat amusing little story. We've got a couple of other things. The, um, the, this whole one about Gmail, because uh, I've got a gripe against this, because I remember reading a story somewhere about aliases. Now, my email address has a full stop in the middle of it. However, I'm getting all of the emails from a chap who doesn't have a dot in his email. And quite frankly, Mark Chanduran, if you're out there, I don't want to receive any more Thai dating, Asian dating, or any other da- or Russian dating emails. Can you unsubscribe for me, please? Because I can't. <laughs> I think it's something to do, if I remember correctly, with aliases. So if it was designed, so if someone spelt your name wrong you still stood a chance of getting it. But I'm getting all the... I mean, I know his O2 bill. You know, I know he's spending like $70 a month on O2. <laughs> well, that's very strange. Anyway, the, the story that we're referring to, of course, is uh, apparently stop telling people there's a dot in your Gmail address. It really doesn't matter. Um, and I picked this up on Slate. Um, apparently that... Uh, Unlike most services, Google do not sort the the dots. So if, for example, if I was to use uh, simon.parnell at Gmail, that is exactly the same as Simon Parnell, and nor do capitals matter, apparently, on Gmail. Or I could use s.i.m.o.n. I'm going to try that. You know I will. Or any others, and it would come to me. Um, now. That is in itself a sort of uh, a somewhat just uh, a bit of trivia, really. However, uh, as some people have said, you can use this to your advantage if you use Gmail in that you can put dots in your address so that in the same way as, you know, a lot of us have uh, disposable email addresses that we can use to sign up to sites we think we might be a bit spammy. Um and thank you very much, Andy, for the recommendations for uh, Sudo app. Oh, yeah. Yeah, brilliant. Uh, and anybody who's listening who hasn't got Sudo app, go get one. Go get one and get yourself your, you know, nine free um, avatars, as they call them, or as Mac Jim nicknamed them, 
pseudo nims. That's great. And the best bit about that is the fake, the fake phone numbers. It's brilliant. Um, Was that the site the other week where it will also even give you a fake credit card as well? Oh no, that's fake name generator. Ah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Just a lazy way of getting some identities quickly online. Yeah. Well, yeah. I'm sort of thinking like all these offers you get where like sign up now, get one month free and you can do it. Then you don't have to worry about um, unsubscribing because it's just a dead account. <laughs> yeah. I also use, uh, there's a mail service called 33mail.com. Have you ever used that? No, never heard never of it. Heard you heard just it. said so you set up account is free um, and it links to your email address and then you set up your own, uh, your own. So my, so your email address would be like um, I could call it like Joyce dot thirty three mail dot com, and then anything before the at sign, it just automatically creates an email address for you. So you can use like info at, and then it will get forwarded to your Gmail or your um, iCloud mail. And at any time, you can just go in and just kill that that uh, email address if you don't want it. So I have sort of about I have about thirty of them now. So if I sign up for something, I call it, you know, at my 33 mail dot address so that I can get the emails and I can continue to get them, but they never get my Gmail address or my iCloud email address. Oh, so so, I just, and I so, can just kill it at any time. So that's a little bit like a, a proxy then? Uh, yeah, it's just a mail forwarder. But the good thing is you don't have to have it set up first. So if I have joyce.33mail.com, if I signed up for Essential Apple, I could just do, I could call my email address essentialapple at joyce.33mail.com. Yeah. And that would continue to work um, until I killed it. Oh, okay. You've just given me some ideas. But like, it's on, on that you can do it on the fly. So you don't have to pre set up. I don't have to go to 33mail and say essentialapple at, I just make up whatever I want uh, as I go. And that's what? 33mail.com? Yeah. It's free, I think. There's some adverts that come through with the email you get, but who cares? Well, yeah, I mean, it's for us. That's the thing. You don't mind. Um, it's like with websites of adverts. You don't mind if the content outweighs the adverts, but when the adverts outweighs what you're getting from the content, uh, that's where I, yeah, that's where I, I draw the line. Really, I don't know about you guys. Yeah, yeah. pretty much. So there we go. Um, right, that's another one to add. So. Um, but apparently, if you you know if you don't want to go to the trouble of using uh, a sudo app or or one of these uh, other things in, in Gmail, you can, uh, you know, you can alter your email address. But if you sign up to something that you think might be a bit spammy, you can change your, you know, you can enter your email address as yeah, Simon at gmail.com and obviously that would show up as sent in your sent to and then you can filter those out you can say right well anything that comes to yeah you can yeah. use that as a way to um to help filter your mail which was quite handy i didn't know that and i also didn't know from the same article that if you um if you use a plus in your gmail account so for example, yeah, uh, the example here they've got is Homer Simpson plus spam at gmail.com. Uh, the things that you anything that you added after the plus is not is not sorted so that it doesn't prevent your 
mail coming, but if you use that, so Homer Simpson plus spam, anything that arrives in your box with plus spam on it, you can just filter out. Oh. Okay, that's handy to know. We've almost had some handy tips today about security data. Uh, well, one thing we haven't asked you about, Andy, is what is your way to back up stuff as we're trying to be somewhat helpful in giving insight into the world of someone who deals with data and forensics? And uh, I have a Synology at home, and then I back up uh, my photos and my documents encrypted to Backblaze, which cost me. I think my last bill was like a dollar. I just do their, uh, their, it auto backs up from the Synology. So I back up my my Google Drive, which I have nothing on nowadays, my Dropbox and my OneDrive, which I have a few things on, to my Synology. And then that gets backed up to Backblaze uh, automatically. It's encrypted. I've got the encryption keys along with my photos go up there. Fair enough. And do you use um, like Super Duper or Carbon Copy Cloner at all? No, or? I don't. I never feel I need to, to be honest. I keep. I've got thumb drives with um, all of the um, the last three um, Apple installers on. So for El Capitan and Sierra, and uh, I keep them. So if I need to reinstall, it doesn't take long. I I just know that when I used to do full disk backups, I never ever used to use them. <laughs> it was just. My data's in the cloud. I can grab it down at any time, or it's on my Synology. Oh, that's fair enough. There's nothing wrong with that. I mean, I I like to have a bootable clone, um, but then as I live on the bleeding edge of betas, that sometimes gets me out of a hole if a beta goes belly up. But yeah. um, you know, and I use it at work because at work, if something happened to my machine at work, uh, you know, if I have a a fallover something happened to my machine i can boot from the clone and keep working and sort yeah. out whatever's gone horribly wrong later um but i don't know it's a, it's a matter of it, it like so many things how depends on how paranoid you want to get doesn't it but you know data security security online security how paranoid do you want to be yeah i mean my day-to-day machine i use more than anything is i have a ubuntu i use ubuntu more than i use my uh my mac to be honest so i and i back that up as again to my synology so it's pretty much pretty much covered really yeah excellent and i have to say yeah i like ubuntu as well i use it yeah um i i i used it to resurrect a, a white macbook the old oh. white macbooks um because that's limited to 10 point six i think snow leopard i think was the last operating system that that the one that i had could take or maybe it was lion maybe it was 10.7 but it doesn't matter anyway um and although the machine was working that os is now so old that it, it was you know you couldn't use it online because it would constantly say your browser is out of date. And then if you tried to download a browser, it would say you need a newer version of the OS. So um, I installed a slightly older version of Ubuntu on it. Uh, and now it's a usable machine again. So yeah. that's... Uh, you know, I just that. find that the Mac is too chatty on the network. I just find it, it sends... If you look at... I, I use uh, the firewall 
and you see what it's sending back to Apple and that. And I know I trust Apple, but it was just again a bit too noisy for me. So I go to Ubuntu and I can control what it sends back, which is virtually nothing. There you go. Very good. And of course, if you're really, you know, if you're really deeply paranoid, there are some um there are some very hardened security uh focused distros out there, aren't there? If you yeah. really yeah. want to get into that. Uh, you know, if you really want to be running a pretty much a black box uh, machine, and then I, then just this week actually, I, 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 someone told me about the Amazon AWS web space uh, workspaces. All right, and I've got a Windows 10 VM running on Amazon Workspace for free. It was just uh, on the free thing, so I've got a Windows machine that I can connect to if I need to. It's really good. I've no, I didn't know it existed. Uh, yeah, it's a four gig, eighty gig hard drive running Windows ten, and it's on the free tier. I'll send you the link. Right, yeah. Is that uh, what we got here? Clients dot Amazon Workspaces dot com. Is that the one? I that looks like it. Think so. Yeah, you download the app. I downloaded the app to my Mac. And uh, you connect to it via that. It was it's free so far. Unless you want, you can go for a bigger one with Office installed and stuff like that, and then you can pay. But for the basic one, I, it was a it was on the free tier. Excellent, because I used to um, I used to use a few couple of cloud top services um, way back when when such things were available. Most of them flopped and disappeared, but there were. Uh, you know, a couple of sort of cloud-based uh, desktops you could use. Yeah. Um, and they, they, I, I used those not to run, um, you know, actually run a desktop on, but uh, in the same way as we're talking about with email, in, in those days I used to use those sometimes to sign up for things that I thought might be a bit spammy the same way so that, if I started getting spammed, it would be going to this virtual web top and um, <laughs> not be bugging me. But, yeah. Uh, but most of those folded or went. You know. This looks so far looks really, uh, really good because there's some tools that we use at work, which we can only run on Windows. And if I have to carry, a, I have to carry a bigger machine because I need more RAM to run VMware and stuff like that. Whereas this, I can just get from the network. I can just put, as long as I got a network connection, I can, connect to it so it looks quite promising oh, excellent well we'll put that in the worth of chirps as well then shall we the um i i do use a vm i use a i run VirtualBox though um some people say it's not as powerful as uh either you know vmware fusion or or uh parallels but it's free and it does what i want um and it's not doesn't seem to be as heavy on the um resources as some of the others one final question, and we're going to start wrapping up the show now because we've been going on for quite a while. One final question, Andy. If you're going to be selling your Mac or your Windows PC, what are some of the recommendations and the tools that you can give so that when you know it's left your door, there, you know, there's not going to be any geeks like me that will try and go, oh, you know what, I'm going to have a nose and run a data recovery program. Uh, I would just use a wiping utility. Uh, uh, DBAN is probably the easiest if you yep. can get it use that and there's no need to do 37 wipes or 35 wipes it's just purely uh that was just fiction 
a one a, a one a single pass will do it. Um, the downs the only downside with the modern technology is that the um, the SSD technology could you could potentially leave some data behind with the way that the garbage collection works on there. Um, so you might not be able to wipe it completely, um, but the chances of recovering anything useful is uh, is negligible. Yeah. Or, or the other option is uh, the quicker way than wiping it sometimes is if you turn on the encryption on your computer, so you encrypt it using like File Vault, and then you just uh, basically lose the, lose the encryption keys. And then it's it's encrypted data. There's nothing there. It's just gobbledygook. That's that's the other way of doing it. If well, it, if you wanted to do it, you know, guess the quick thing to do would be surely turn on File Vault, encrypt it, yeah, and then wipe it. Yeah, and then to, or you don't even need to wipe it really. Just lose the keys. That's the way the um. That's why the iPhone can wipe so quickly, mm. because all it does is everything's encrypted, and then when you say uh, factory reset, it just it just deletes the encryption keys so there's nothing on there except gobbledygook which you'll never get never get back so that that's another way or if it's a if it if it's essential for you if it's an ssd i'd take it out and keep it and sell it on without one yeah yeah that's true um and the other thing which has come up uh there was a story yesterday i think um did you uh, it's not in the show notes but there, there was a guy at google who found that he'd sold an imac um, and he did not turn off Find My Mac on it. And uh, even though, uh, you know, the guy who'd bought it had never signed into iCloud, and therefore this Mac was still showing up in this Google guy's uh, Find My find my iMac. Uh, uh, and as he said, not really a problem to him per se because it was a desktop or not, but he said, you know, if... If it was um, for the seller, it's not much of a problem. But for somebody who buys one, it could be. <laughs> you could be being tracked. You know, your move, movements could be tracked by that. But, you know, that's a simple. So the simple thing about that is make sure you sign out of iCloud. Yeah. Before you do anything else. Although I, I don't know if the Mac does it, but if you if you do, um, like with your iPhone, if you go to do a factory reset for whatever reason, it actually brings up a dialogue, doesn't it? Saying you need to sign out of yeah, um, you need to sign out of find my iPhone before you do that. Well, you know what, chaps? We've I think today we've hit a new high of almost being useful. We've had some good <laughs> tips, pretty much just thanks to Dougie or sorry, slash Andy. So I think there is any a point is a point where we can say let's get out of here, let's go and enjoy the sun before the beast from the east enrages and ravages us all <laughs> so Andy again thank you ever so much for coming on we will do that special of training and fitness because we're on two polar opposite sides of the training spectrum you do ultra stuff and I'm just getting back into fitness so I think there's a, a bit a bit of mileage there to be had so if people want to get a hold of you if they want to get in contact you follow you on the socials and all that sort of stuff how can they do so good sir yeah but <laughs> to say they can find him at vera.smith yeah com. you ain't uh, seen me dot right probably the, <laughs> probably the uh, central apple slack room is the best place um i do ha- i do have twitter uh, at dougie but i uh monthly i purge all my tweets so there's not much history there 
I purge them on a monthly basis. Fantastic. And, and and anyone is listening out there in listener land, if you've got a question for Dougie about data security, he may not be able to answer it, but this is just a way of trying to get people to say, we have a Twitter and no one's pretty much using it at Essential Apple. So if you want to get in contact with the show or ask Dougie a question that we can ask him on the show or email him, or if you want access to our beloved Slack room, you can get us on Essential Apple on the Twitter. Simon, what about yourself? They want to get hold of you, Hank can they do so good sir uh the best way to get hold of me is uh on the twitter and i'm at serenak and that's s-e-r-e-n-a-k and i have now got uh essential underscore apple at sudomail.com as an email address <laughs> awesome stuff awesome stuff and of course at essential apple come and join us in the slack room uh, admittedly i have been slacking because i've not been in there but i will catch up as always a big thank you to john nemo for doing a nemo's hardware store thank you simon very much for collating the show notes andy thank you once again for coming on the show and until next week we will say goodbye cheerio everyone goodbye bye Hi, I'm Bart Bouchard, host of the Let's Talk Apple podcast. Every month I gather together a panel of Apple followers and we digest the month's Apple news. Our aim is to step back and take a 40,000 foot view of all things Apple. We're the perfect complement to the many great daily news shows out there. Listen and subscribe at www.lets-talk.ie.